Well, good morning. Uh, it is just a privilege, as always, to be able to worship with you and to be able to go into the Word together with you. And so this morning we're going to continue our series in Colossians. Before we do, I just want to say a couple words of thanks. One is if you were here this past week and you served in any way in our Vacation Bible School, thank you. Thank you for investing in the next generation. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule and make that a priority. It's worth it, but just thank you. We know there's a lot of hours and effort that went into that. Uh, and if you're a parent who came or a part of the family gathering on Friday night, thank you for wanting to do that and be involved in your child's life. I just want to say thank you so much for everyone who's involved at that. And the second thing I want to say thank you for is uh, thank you to everyone who has been praying for me and for my wife and our family. Uh, my name's Paul, and a lot of you guys know we just had our fourth baby um, almost three weeks ago now. And so I've constantly gotten texts, and I've seen you in the hall or emails. People have been asking how we're doing, praying for you, food, all kinds of things. And so Man, we are just so grateful to get to be a part of this church family, that you guys would love on us, pray for us, care for us. Thank you. Those prayers have been felt. It just means so much. Uh, we love this family. And I've had many people ask, you know, what can we do for you? Well, if anyone has a bottle of sleep or a can of sleep, like somewhere that they can just like pass on to us, that we could just, you know, pop open real quick, that would be awesome. Other than that, you can just uh, keep us in your prayers. But God's been so good to our family. So this morning we're continuing our series in Colossians, so I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible or turn your iPad on or whatever you're doing, but actually go to the book of Philemon. Okay, we are going to be in Colossians this morning, uh, but as we're rounding out the end of the letter, uh, we're going to be reading about some different people, one of which is stories found in Philemon. So that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. Philemon's toward the end of the New Testament. Titus comes first, then if you've hit Hebrews, James, you've gone too far. And it's just a short little letter. And so grab that, and once you're there, put your finger there, or bookmark it, however you do that, and then go to Colossians 4, okay? Because we're going to spend the majority of our time in Philemon. And so as uh, you are getting there, I just want to pray over us. And I want to invite you, if you would, to pray for me, because I need the Lord this morning. I need what we're talking about. What God's Word is saying is as much for me, if not more, as it is for our church family. So would you just pray for me as I pray for you and ask that God would move this morning through His Word. Father, we love you. We thank you uh, that you are here, that you have brought our family together, uh, and we come now to see you. Lord, I recognize uh, I'm the chief of sinners and most unworthy to be standing up here. And so there's nothing good for me. It's, it's all your word. And so we just put your word on display and pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd have your way in our hearts, in our lives, through the proclamation of the gospel and your word. We thank you for the promises that your word does not return void, that it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. So we pray that your word would do its work in us this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would change us. I pray you'd break chains of sin, of fear, of anxiety, of loss, all, uh, even death, spiritual death, that this morning people who are in this room who don't know you, don't have a relationship with you, they know about you, but I pray that this morning you would raise the dead to life. Please, God, that's what you do, and so we ask you to do your work. We ask that you be glorified, not to us, but to your name. And be the glory and honor and praise for the sake of your steadfast love, we pray. It's your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Colossians 4, uh, and I actually want to start in verse 1, okay? And this will come in later. Masters, 
Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I'm going to jump down to verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Why? That you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This letter written to the church at Colossae, this letter written to us, is to be a letter of encouragement for you, for me, for our benefit. And so Tychicus is carrying this letter, but he's not carrying it alone as we're about to read. There's someone else carrying it as well. Verse 9, And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. And I have those words, faithful and beloved, circled and underlined, because what we're about to read would not make us think that Onesimus we called faithful and beloved who is one of you, that's important, circle, underline those three words, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So here's what's happening. Paul is sending this letter to the church by way of a guy named Tychicus and Onesimus. And what we learn right now about Onesimus is that he is one of the church at Colossae. He is from this city that he's carrying this letter to. We've talked about before that Paul did not start the church. Epaphras started the church. Paul invested in men uh, who helped bring this church about. And now Onesimus, who is from Colossae, is carrying this letter back to the church of Colossae, but he's also carrying another letter, and that other letter is the book of Philemon. And so if you'll turn over to Philemon, if you held your place, we're just going to read this short little letter. It's Paul's shortest letter, so don't get worried that we're reading a whole book of the Bible. Uh, It's only going to take a couple minutes, okay? So this is what says, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, this is probably Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, he's also mentioned at the end of Colossians, in the church, in your house. Most of the churches in those days didn't have buildings like this. They didn't gather in places like this. They gathered in homes. So Philemon is a leader in the church at Colossae, this letter we've been reading. Verse 4, or verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not just a greeting. This is Paul's intention. He wants the grace of Christ and the peace of Christ to come to Philemon and come to this church through this letter. That's the aim. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. And just kind of as an aside, as you're walking through this, if you'd like to underline a circle, every time you see the word love or beloved or heart, I'd encourage you to underline or circle. It's all through this letter. Paul's appealing to their heart, to Philemon's heart. Verse 6, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ Jesus. And that word sharing is kind of a key word to this letter. It's quantania, and it means sharing, sometimes fellowship. It's the mutual bond that we have as the family of faith. So anyone who's been saved, who's been redeemed, who's been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who's become a son or daughter of God, we share together in a relationship that is closer than anything we know on earth. So I love my kids, I'm close to my kids, but I don't share a spiritual relationship with them yet. They don't know Christ. And so my relationship to you, if you're a believer, is much 
closer than my relationship to my children because it's united in an eternal bond. And so Paul's appealing to Philemon, we'll see why in just a second, but he's saying, I'm praying that this love, that this sharing, this fellowship that is in the family of faith would be fully realized in your life and in this church. Sounds like a good thing, but in light of what's about to come, this makes it a difficult thing. Verse 7, For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, there it is again, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. That everyone who's interacting and encountering Philemon is being refreshed by him. And just kind of as an aside, when people interact with you, when people come into your life, in my life, I wrote this down, are they refreshed when they hang out with me? Or are they exhausted? Like, am I spiritually life-giving to the people who interact with me? Or am I life-taking? Our, our longing should be that with everyone we meet with, that they are spiritually charged by our encounter because we are abiding in Christ. And we get to verse 8. So this is what's happening. This is why the letter's being written. Plea for Onesimus. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Okay, so here he is. He's the one carrying the letter. Paul's appealing on his behalf. Why? Whose father I became in my imprisonment, Formerly he was useless to you, and the word Onesimus literally means useful. So his name is useful, Paul's saying. He was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, and I'm sending my very heart. And that word heart, we've already seen it once. It literally means guts. I'm sending my very entrails, my very organs, okay? Not necessarily something you'd probably put in a love letter to a girlfriend or something like that, but the idea is that this is the deepest seated part of our emotion. If you were to love someone with the deepest part of who you are, that's what it's saying. This loving guts, that the deepest part of me feels affection for you. I'm sending my heart. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted to you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a servant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved, dearly loved brother especially to me, but now much more to you in the flesh and in the Lord. So this is Paul's aim. There's been brokenness in their relationship. Paul's sending Onesimus back so that it can be resolved. Verse 17, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Sometimes Paul would have other people pen his letters for him. This entire letter, at least this part, Paul's writing himself. I'm writing this to you. I will repay it, whatever it is. Say nothing to me of owing even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So apparently, Paul led Philemon to Christ. That's why he's saying, what you owe me. That somehow Paul and Philemon, probably in Ephesus, met. Paul led Philemon to Christ. Philemon went and helped start the church that's now in Colossae. And he's writing to him. Epaphras, my final, my, uh, confident of your obedience, verse 21, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be graciously given to you. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So when I was four years old, I had an atrocity that was committed against me. And the reason I know it's an atrocity is because I still remember it. I don't really have a lot of good memories from when I was like four or five or young, but I do remember this one. We were at my grandparents' house, and it was my birthday. Woo! Me. And so we are there, and we are getting ready to celebrate, and I had been given what I had asked for for a long time, a Mickey Mouse birthday cake. Okay, so I was so pumped to get my Mickey Mouse cake, but there was one problem. While we were all in the other room getting ready to do the presents, my cousin was in the room with the cake, younger cousin, and things were not going well. There was malicious intent involved, I'm sure, and so we come back in, and someone has taken their hands all through the cake and ruined my four-year-old birthday. And apparently I'm still scarred about it because I'm 30 years old, and we're talking about it this morning on Father's Day. And I had a choice of how to deal with it. You know, I wanted to like smash her face in the cake and get a new cake, but couldn't do that. Had to try to forgive her. And that seems like such a small thing. But we all know what it's like to have something that's important to us and be hurt by someone else. Has anybody ever had anything similar happen to them? Okay, a few of you. How many of you have ever been the one who did that? Like you were messing up the other person's cake. Just be honest, you're that person, the mischief. Okay, I see it, yeah. We all know what it feels like to interact with people that way. But let's take it a step further. I would dare say, and I asked the, the early service this, and I'm going to ask you as well. I want you to be really honest. Show of hands. How many in this room have ever been deeply hurt or wounded by someone else? Just look at the hands. The majority of us, maybe even all of us, if we're going to be honest, we know what it's like to feel lost. This letter we just read is about that. Onesimus was uh, a slave or servant to Philemon. Philemon's probably a a fairly well-to-do businessman in Colossae. He started this church. We would assume Philemon's a good boss, a good master, taking care of his servant. Onesimus doesn't know Jesus. Onesimus breaks the law. He runs from Philemon, leaving him. Uh, in a bad spot, and apparently having stolen possessions too, because Paul talks about this debt that's being owed. So Philemon has been hurt by Onesimus. This is the backdrop. Well, Onesimus has run away from his master, ends up in Ephesus, we would assume, and then out of God's providence, runs into none other than the Apostle Paul. And just as an aside, isn't it amazing that while Paul is in prison, he's sharing the gospel? I don't know what you'd be doing when you're in prison. When I'm in prison, I'm not like witnessing all the time. That's what Paul's doing. It's the boldness of his faith and even a charge for us. Are we being bold to the places that God has given us? But Paul engages Onesimus. He leads Onesimus to the Lord. And now Onesimus is a partner in ministry with Paul. But there's a problem. Paul knows Philemon. He's led Onesimus to the faith. Now Onesimus has wounded and wronged Philemon. So Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossae, carrying two letters in hand that we know of. One that we've been studying over the last several months to the church at Colossae, the other to his former master, who he's wounded and wronged and stolen from, to go back and pursue forgiveness. That's tough. 
And so this morning, in the time we have left, we're going to be talking about the face of forgiveness. What does it look like for us to be a people of forgiveness? And we all know how hard forgiveness can be. So here's the big idea, and then we're just going to kind of flesh this out in a few questions. The big idea is this. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel and at the heart of what it means to truly be a Jesus follower. If we're going to be Jesus followers, if the gospel is going to be real in us and on display for other people to see, forgiveness has to be real for us because we experience it in Christ, but we also have to be a people of forgiveness. That's hard when we've been hurt and wounded deeply. Even on Father's Day can be a day that just relives some of those hurts and wounds in us. In Colossians 3, we talked about dads and fathers and said, you know, husbands, be gentle with your wives. Husbands, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Why is he telling us that? Because there's something in us because of our brokenness and our sin that causes us as men to wound our spouses and to discourage and wound our kids. And so we need this message of forgiveness today. So if you're like me, when it comes to forgiveness, I'm asking some questions. What is true forgiveness? Why is it so hard to forgive? How do I forgive? Who should I forgive? So I think Philemon answers these questions for us. And so I just want to take the time we have left and just try to answer these questions together of forgiveness. And so here's the first one. Why is forgiveness so difficult for us? Why is it so hard for us? And there are several reasons we see from this passage. The first and most obvious is that we've experienced hurt and loss at the hands of another. This is Philemon's story. He's experienced hurt and loss at the hands of Onesimus. He's been wronged. He's been hurt. There is loss. There's economical pain. There is relational loss that's here. There's wounds that come with that. And so it's hard to forgive people when we've been wounded and hurt and wronged. We experience that. Here's another reason. We feel the hurt and loss that we've seen inflicted on others that we love. You know, it's hard to forgive people who hurt us. It's really hard to forgive people who hurt those we love, right? Really hard. Whether it's your spouse, your parent, your child. I mean, you moms know when your kid is like messed with at school and you get home, there's something that rises up in you. You're going to go down there and you're going to take care of business, right? Because we hurt for those who we love who hurt. Another reason why it's so hard for us to forgive is because we have an inward longing for justice. This is something that God has built inside of us. We long for justice. Let's just be really transparent for a moment, okay? Maybe I'm the only person in the room who's done this, but I doubt it. How many of you have ever gotten on the interstate to be cut off by someone who's speeding? And the thought that goes in your mind is, I hope there's a police officer around the bend. Anybody ever think, am I the only one? Thank you for being honest. Like, in my head, every single time, it's, man, I hope that guy gets busted. It's coming, right? Why? Because we have this longing for justice built in us. God has given us that. God is just. And so when we are wronged or when the people we love are wronged, we want justice to happen. But this is a really important truth that Paul's getting at in this letter that we have to grab a hold of. If a brother or sister in Christ has wronged you, who has been saved, who's been redeemed, justice has already 
been served, right? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Justice has been served. Jesus paid that debt. Jesus has already paid that debt. So they get justice. And for those who don't know Jesus, justice will come. Justice has been served or justice will be served. It's not ours to give or ours to withhold. Another reason why forgiveness is so hard, and this is the true one for most of us, is we have an inward battle against an enemy called pride. Philemon would have longed for justice to be served. Philemon would have longed to have things made right, and Onesimus to pay, right? We want people to suffer like we've had to suffer. But why do we want that? Because of pride, selfishness, We've been hurt, others have been hurt, and so in our pride, we want to lash back. We want them to feel what we've felt. But why? It's because of pride. John, John Piper says this, and it doesn't deal directly with forgiveness, but applies. He says, when our mouths are empty with the praise of others, it's probably because our hearts are full with love of self. So let me say it a different way. When our mouths are empty with forgiveness of others, it's probably because our hearts are full of love for self. Right? Pride. We care so much about our ego, our loss, that we are unwilling to surrender and show forgiveness. So what is true forgiveness? Here's kind of the meat of this that I want us to get at that Philemon shows us. Here's a definition that I've made, so it's not perfect at all, but comes out of this passage, and we'll unpack it. True forgiveness is the recognition and release of the debt that is owed us, along with reconciliation and restoration of the relationship with the person who has wronged us. Four R words in there, because I'm a preacher, and that's what we do. It helps us to remember things, okay? So, recognition release, reconciliation, restoration. These four things have to be in play for true forgiveness to happen. So let's just break down what these are. The first one is this. True forgiveness requires recognition. And what is recognition? It's recognition of the wrong that has been committed. We read through verses 8 and through 19 and we see this story. And here's what we see happening Paul is addressing the wrong that has been committed. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't move on. And this is really important for us, and this is really hard for us, just personally, but also in the South, that forgiveness is not ignoring the offense that has been committed. That we cannot truly have forgiveness in our hearts until we address the crime, until we address the hurt, until we address the problem. You can't just forgive and forget. You can't let bygones be bygones. I don't even know what that means, but it's a phrase we use all the time. Or, that's in the past. Or, we just don't talk about it. That is not forgiveness. That is not dealing with problems the way God has called us to. Paul calls it out. He sends Onesimus there. He writes this letter. He talks about the debt. He talks about the loss. Before there can be true forgiveness in your heart or my heart towards someone who's wronged us or wronged those we love, we have to recognize the hurt. We have to deal with it. But not only is there recognition, there must be release. Release. Release is choosing to release the person who committed the wrong 
from the debt that they owe. Forgiveness is choosing to release the person who committed the wrong from the debt that they owe. See, this is what Paul's doing. Look at verses 17 through 19 here. He says, So if you consider me your partner, receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me. He's saying, look at Onesimus the way you would look at me. That goes back to that quantania idea that we see everyone in the faith family is equal in Christ. Verse 18, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Does Paul owe Philemon anything? No. Does Paul owe Onesimus anything? No. What is Paul doing? He's taking the debt that is not his and bearing it himself. There's someone else who's done that, right? Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for you and for me, is that we owe a cosmic debt to God because of our sin. We've run from Him, we've broken, we've hurt other people, we've wounded, we've stolen, we've done all these things. And God looks at our sin and He takes our debt and He takes the hurt we've inflicted and He puts all of that on His sinless Son, Jesus, who owes nothing. He takes our debt in our place and He dies on the cross and offers us forgiveness from our sin. He releases us from our debt. And so true forgiveness is looking at someone else and it's saying, I release you from that debt. If, I, uh, if you were to come over to my house this afternoon and say, hey Paul, can I borrow one of your cars? And I said, sure, you can borrow my car. Let's say you, you, know, you get it, you slam it into reverse and you just knock over my mailbox and you hit the fence across the street and you slam a stop sign on the way out. Well, when you get back, You've caused harm, right, to my car. And I've got one of two choices. Either I demand that you pay for the debt that you owe, the wounds and hurt that you've inflicted, or I absorb the cost of that debt on myself and I let you go free. That's what's happening in true forgiveness. It's saying, you owe this debt that you cannot pay, and I'm not going to hold you to it. Instead, I'm going to take that on myself. I'm going to do like Jesus did for me. I'm going to carry your debt in my place, or in your place. That's hard, right? But that, that is the gospel. That is what God has done for us. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him, Jesus, we've received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Tim Keller says it this way, Forgiveness means bearing the cost instead of making the wrongdoer do it. And forgiveness means absorbing the debt of the sin yourself. This means that we carry the loss in us. We have to take the nails. We have to take the tears. We have to take the pain. We take it on ourselves, even though we're the ones who've been wrong. That's the only way resurrection can happen. It's the only way the chains of unforgiveness and bitterness can be broken is when we bear the debt that has been inflicted on us. I release you. So it's recognizing the debt, it's releasing someone from the debt that they owe us, but thirdly, it's reconciliation. And this is a big word, but it simply means going back into right relationship with someone. And so Paul says this, if you're looking at your Bible, um, you can look at 
Colossians, or sorry, reconciliation, verse 15 and 16 says this. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. What's Paul saying? He's saying that forgiveness is not just recognizing the sin and releasing someone from it. It's reconciling your relationship with them. It's looking at someone and saying, I love you. We're good. We're not just good. We're friends. I am for you. I love you. It's not just dealing with the problem and then choosing to have the relationship kind of broken. We were never the same we were before. But it's saying because of the blood of Christ, because you have been saved, because I've been saved, I choose to love you with my whole heart. You are my brother. So Philemon is not to look at Onesimus as the person who wronged him, but to look at him as a dearly loved brother in the faith. Again, that's hard. That's part of forgiveness. It's saying, I'm not just going to deal with the sin and then our relationship does whatever. I'm going to deal with the sin in our relationship, but then I'm going to deal with the relationship. But isn't that what God does for us? God does not just forgive us of our sin. God does not just forgive us through the cross. What does God do? He adopts us into his family, right? Romans 8, he calls us sons and daughters. He gives us his name. He gives us his inheritance. He invites us into his kingdom. He not only takes care of our sin, but he restores the relationship fully. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about us needing to be reconciled to God and that he has taken that on himself. And so to truly forgive someone, we have to recognize the problem, the sin that's been committed. We have to release them of the debt, which means absorbing it ourselves, ultimately letting Jesus absorb it. It means that I'm going to bring you back into right stature and status in our relationship. But lastly, it's restoration. And restoration is dealing with us. Notice in verses 1 and 2, it says to Philemon, our beloved brother, or fellow worker, Aphia, our sister, who we assume to be his wife. Archippus, our fellow soldier, he's part of the church. And the church in your house. Why is Paul addressing all these other people? This is an issue between Philemon and Onesimus. Why is Paul bringing everyone else into it? Because they're in the same family. And we all have seen other people hurt that we love and care about. And we hurt for them, and we're angry for them, and we want justice for them. So Paul's telling Philemon, not only do you need to be reconciled to your brother, but you as a family need to be restored. Quantania, fellowship, sharing. We see each other the same, equally in Christ. So true forgiveness requires these four things. Dealing with the issue. I am willing to take on the sin and wrong, and absorb it, and own it, myself through the power and grace that's in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to be reconciled. I'm going to love you equally as though you had never sinned against me. And then I'm going to speak well of you in the household of faith. I'm going to hold you up as a family member in Christ. That is true forgiveness. That is biblical forgiveness. That is what Paul is appealing to Onesimus to do. That is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And that is hard, right? Just own it. It's hard. You might say, Paul, you don't know 
the wounds I've experienced. You don't know what has happened to me. You don't know what I've had to bear. You don't know what they've done to me. And I don't. I don't. But God does. And God understands. And the God who understands calls us to be people of forgiveness because he has forgiven us. Let me just let these scriptures just kind of run over you. Colossians 3, 12-13 that we read a few weeks ago. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. Luke 23.34, Jesus on the cross, on the cross, bearing the weight of your sin and your shame and my sin and my shame. He says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, they don't understand. I will take their sin. I will take the debt that they owe on the cross. When we get to Matthew 18, Peter asks Jesus, how often shall I forgive? Seven times, far above the law. What does Jesus say? And 70 times seven. You're to be a people of continual forgiveness. Why? Because we have, forgiven, we have been forgiven far much more than we could ever be asked to forgive someone else. So how do we forgive? Just give a couple thoughts coming out of this passage and we'll be finished. How do we forgive? Okay, we know what true forgiveness is. We know why it's a struggle. We know the gospel calls us to. How do we do that? Well, the first way that we do that is we are only able to forgive through the grace and peace that are found in Jesus. There's no accident, I think, that Philemon ends and begins with these words. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends, 25, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. These are not just flippant introductory and closing statements. This is Paul's prayer. The only way forgiveness works is if the grace of God is abounding in our hearts and our minds and our lives and the peace of Christ is ruling in our hearts as we read earlier from Colossians 3. So Paul's praying this over them. This is a letter of grace. It's not a letter of condemnation. It's not a letter of legalism like you've got to go do this. He's appealing out of love and the love of Christ. We cannot in and of ourselves forgive anyone who's wronged us and wounded us deeply. Can't. You cannot, I cannot forgive someone who's wronged or wounded, someone we love deeply on our own. We can't. It's only through the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. So we have to constantly call on His mercy and His help. Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to model the gospel to this person who's wronged me. And thankfully, God gives us ways even to address it. Matthew 18 talks about if someone has offended you or someone has hurt you, how we are supposed to respond, and that happens within the household of faith. Well, what if it's an unbeliever? Well, we still forgive and we still follow the model that God's given us. What's another way? We're able to forgive when we let go of bitterness and embrace a heart of loving compassion. When we let go of bitterness... Embrace the heart of love and compassion. All throughout this letter, Paul's appealing to the love Philemon has. His love for the saints, his love for Jesus. His heart to refresh the saints. 
Paul's heart's been refreshed. He's praying that Philemon would be a refreshment to his heart. And so Paul's saying, look at Onesimus out of love, not out of hurt. Look at him with a heart of compassion. And the gospel compels us to be a people of compassion because God has been compassionate for us and so for those who wrong us or wound us we need to pray Lord help me to see them with your eyes give me a heart of compassion help me to see them like Jesus saw the people who were wounding him and putting him up on that tree God would give us hearts of compassion here's another way we are able to forgive when we entrust our hurts to the sovereign healer We are able to forgive when we entrust our hurts to the sovereign healer. Look at verse 15. I think this is incredible. Paul says this, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. What's Paul saying? God has a bigger plan and a bigger story than what we can see. Entrust the hurts, entrust the brokenness to him. Remember back in Genesis, the story of Joseph? He's thrown in a well by his brothers, left for dead, sold into slavery, wrongly accused in Potiphar's house. He's thrown into jail again, again, again. He has a chance to get revenge on his brothers. He doesn't do it. And this is what Joseph says in Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. But what? God meant it for good. To bring about the salvation of many lives. We only see in the moment. We don't see the big picture and that God is working and moving and God's story to bring Onesimus to faith required Onesimus hurting Philemon. But now Philemon gets a beloved brother who's a partner in ministry. Doesn't take the wounds, doesn't take the hurt away, but we entrust it to the sovereign healer. We trust him in it. Here's another way we forgive. We forgive when we choose to see someone for who they are in Christ instead of seeing them for what they've done to us. Look at verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. I said earlier, Onesimus, that name, it literally means useful. He hadn't been very useful. Paul's recognizing that. He's not been useful. In fact, he's been anything but useful, but now he is useful. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We say from the stage all the time, your identity, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, if you've been saved, is not found in the things that you do or the things that have been done to you. Your identity is found in what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Amen? But here's the truth. I want you to listen to this. We tell ourselves that, and we preach that, and we believe that, and that's true. But if that is true, it is equally true that the person who has wronged you, or the person who's wronged me, if they are a blood-bought son or daughter of God, they should not be defined by what they have done to us. They should be defined by what God has done for them. That when you see a blood-bought son or daughter of Christ, even when they've hurt you, you should see the righteousness of Jesus Christ over them. Because they're not defined by what they've done to you or what they've done to others. They're defined by Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. See him as you would see me. See him as you would see Jesus. See Onesimus for not who he was. See him for who he now is in Christ. 
And lastly, you say, well, maybe they're not a believer. Maybe they don't have the righteousness of Christ over them. Well, here's the last one. I think this is the most important. We are able to forgive when we think about the forgiveness that we've been shown through Jesus in our place. You will never be called upon to give someone more than what you've been forgiven by God and Jesus Christ. Never. None of us will. C.S. Lewis says it this way, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I'm willing to forgive the inexcusable in others because God forgave the inexcusable in me. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty he might become rich. Ultimately, the reason we forgive is because we have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. Have you experienced that forgiveness today? Do you know what it's like to be forgiven by God? Do you know what it's like to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ? If you do, how can we withhold that forgiveness from others? So here's the last question I'll end on. Who should we forgive? Who do we forgive? Everyone, everywhere, every time. Why? Because God forgave us. Everything that we owe. Every wrong that we've committed, every wrong we will commit, every sin has been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I invite the team to come up and we're going to respond and I, hang in with me. Don't, don't check out because this is so important for us. There's three ways this morning that we respond. There's three types of people and I think we fit all three types and here's the question I want you to think about in your heart and even just to meditate on is which one am I? Number one, some of us in this room today, a lot of us, you might need to be the Apostle Paul. God has placed you in the lives of some people who are harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. And God has uniquely placed you there in your life group, in your study group, in your family, in your friendships, to be a peacemaker. It's not demand that they forgive one another, but to do as Paul did to appeal to their love to step in. God has put you as a person of grace in that family and it's messy and it's hard and you don't want to open that can of worms. But God has uniquely placed you there to step in and say there's been a wrong that's been committed and forgiveness is necessary. And you're going to lovingly help those brothers or sisters fight the fight for forgiveness. And it's not going to be hard or easy but you're going to do the labor that Paul did with Onesimus. God's called you to that. It's called me to that. For us in this room, the other person that we are is Philemon. Someone has wounded you. Someone's wronged you in your past, maybe even in your present. And you've been harboring unforgiveness, resentment. You've tried to get past it, but you're not past it. You've been bottling up. You ignore it. Those conversations, we don't bring those up at the dinner table anymore. We don't talk about that stuff. And you have never truly forgiven. You need to forgive. It's God in Christ has chosen to forgive you. Is there anyone in your life that you're withholding this grace? And unforgiveness, ultimately it's chains. It's chains that hold us back. It's chains that steal our joy, that bind us. 
And the only way to be free of those chains is to quit inflicting hurt and harm for wishing that they would experience the same thing, for harboring that in. It's only through forgiveness there can be life and freedom. Then all of us are Onesimus. We've wronged. We've hurt. For some of you in this room, this is fresh. You've wounded somebody, intentionally or unintentionally. And you need to make the journey from Ephesus to Colossae, from right here to wherever they are. It might be in this room, it might be later. To go to them and say, I need you to forgive me. Mom, dad, son, daughter, brother, sister, co-worker, family member, the faith family. I've wronged you. Would you forgive me? Whatever they say in return, you go in humility. Then all of us are Onesimus spiritually. And I believe there are people in the room that you've never experienced the transforming grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to die in your place. Pay your debts all to him you and I owe. And you can be saved by placing your faith in him, by repenting of your sins. You can do that this morning. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Who are you? Where are you? How do you fit into that? What would God be calling you to do this morning? Father, I pray that we would become a people of forgiveness. And what would it look like if our marriages and our families and our communities were marked by the radical forgiveness of Christ? Lord, let us be that people. I pray over my brothers and sisters. This is so hard. It's heavy. It hurts. But I pray that they would respond in obedience out of love for you and love for others. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.